Welcome to the AOCPP podcast, the podcast brought to you by the Association of Child Protection Professionals, where we, alongside expert guests, discuss important issues within child protection and safeguarding. There has never been a more important time to keep up with child protection and safeguarding, but with regulation frequently changing, we realise not all professionals have the time to do so. That's why we've created this podcast, to give you what you need to stay informed. Every week, we'll be inviting child protection professionals with expertise in either research or practice to share their learnings. In each episode, we'll be taking a focused look at a singular issue that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent, so we'll be talking with a professional at the forefront of the issue. Hello, I'm Wendy Thorogood, the chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Yasmin Wigglesworth, the CEO of Aegis, about working in providing accreditation for guardianship organisations delivering educational guardianship to international students under the age of 18 studying within the UK. Aegis was founded in 1994 by a group of established guardianship organisations and UK boarding schools in response to the lack of regulations around the care of international students aged 18 and under studying within the UK. Currently, no existing legislation requires registration or accreditation of guardians looking after international students during school holidays in the UK or short-term care needed out of school. This is why Aegis works firstly to ensure the guardianship organisations meet the standards of current safeguarding and child protection legislation, and secondly to ensure the highest standards are maintained by guardianship organisations. The core work of Aegis is the accreditation of guardianship organisations through a rigorous programme of inspections. Aegis also shares best practice in guardianship with schools and agents, offering support, guidance and preparation to guardianship organisations seeking accreditation, while also offering up-to-date information to schools, guardian and parents, agents and education sector. Thank you for joining us today, Yasmin. Please tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Thank you very much for having me today. Aegis is the Association for the Education and Guardianship of International Students and we are the independent accrediting body for guardianship organisations based in the UK who provide guardianship services for international students studying here at boarding schools, sixth form colleges, universities as well, mainly aged 18 and under. Really vulnerable cohort. I don't think people really think of that as a safeguarding, but there's a parallel, isn't there, in relation to the risks that they face in relation to being away from home as any child that is away from home, whether they're removed or whether they're placed, you know, brings significant challenges really, doesn't it? So it really does. And it's a completely unregulated area as well. So anyone can be a guardian, anyone can look after international students as a guardian or as a host family in their homes for short stay periods during holidays. So this is really of concern to us and everyone in the sector that there is no oversight over those people who are providing these services to international parents to look after their children and this is why Aegis was set up as a charity in 1994 by a group of heads of boarding schools and directors of guardianship companies because they were really concerned about where children were going in the holidays who was looking after them whether they were safe or not and this is how it 
our organisation came about. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about the role that you play? I can imagine it, that what you do on a sort of a daily basis. And then we'd go on to look at how it's changed under COVID. But I think people would like to hear exactly what you do do to support them. And as much as they may not be considered as professionals, there is that element that they're doing a very complex role. Absolutely. So an educational guardian could be an individual or it could be a company, basically, who has numerous employees who look after logistics such as airport transfers. They might have a homestay coordinator who has to do all the safer recruitment of homestays and various other members of staff. So they really differ in size. So you could have a guardianship. We call them guardianship organisations. And you could have a guardianship organisation that might be quite small, who maybe looks after 10 students. And the way they do that, the guardian might be a host family as well. And then they might recruit a couple of other host families nearby or in other areas of the UK, up to huge companies that oversee the care of, say, 600 students. And the way they do that is by employing a network of local coordinators across the country who are responsible for that area and for recruiting homestays in that area and doing school visits and things like that. So really, the the guardian is appointed by the parents in order to provide emotional and practical support whilst the children are here from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave. And for students studying at boarding schools, that will often include holiday accommodation in homestay families. So really, guardians are on call in emergencies. For example, if a boarding house has to shut due to norovirus or they might have to collect a child who has a sports injury, that sort of thing for emergencies. But they also attend parents' evenings. They report back to the parents about any academic issues. And they're really there as like an independent listener for the child as well. And of course, they are responsible for recruiting homestay families. So this is one of the major concerns that overseas parents have about where the children are staying, wanting to make sure they're staying with safe people who've been vetted. So this whole sector that I've just described, there is no regulation of it. And so what we as Aegis, the organisation, do is we have provided an inspection and accreditation process, which these companies can come forward for. They have to pay a fee to go through inspection, but our inspection process is very rigorous. So we are ensuring that safeguarding regulations and requirements are met, following KICSI, for example, keeping children safe in education and the Children Act, these sorts of legislation. So that's what our inspection process is based on, safer recruitment processes, and it's very rigorous, and we are renowned for being rigorous, but we feel that we have to be. And for us, it doesn't matter whether a child is staying in a home for one night or 10 nights, that home needs the same regulation and vetting of the people looking after the child. So when I say there's no regulation of the sector, I mean the short stay holidays. I'm sure some of the listeners and you'll be aware that if if a child is staying in a homestay for 28 consecutive days or longer, then it falls under private fostering and it has to be reported to the local authority. But for the stays under that, there is no oversight. But these children would be perhaps within a whole school year. So how is that different? Is it because they're partly within school and partly with the families? 
That's right. So a lot of the guardians will be looking after students on short term, so for the exiats, the long weekends, and for maybe half-term holidays. For the longer holidays, such as Christmas and summer holidays, often the children will return home. But it's those short stays that the guardians are catering for. Some guardians do look after day pupils as well, who might be studying at day state or independent schools or um, at college. And they even do provide guardianship for university age students under the age of 18. In the circumstances where it's a day pupil at a state or private day school, obviously they will have to ensure that the family looking after the child has had all of the private fostering checks and it has the arrangement has been reported to the local authority but we still will oversee the vetting of an Aegis accredited guardian as well. How does that differ to the language schools that spring up? Because I know as a past practitioner, we had quite a lot of trouble because in, in my local area, there are quite a few language schools. They would pop up and then maybe close. They were getting around the 28-day loophole by literally just moving children from one family to another family. And we did have some quite significant safeguarding issues because equally the people that were taken on weren't qualified and they were just interested in the money that they were getting paid. So we did set up quite a... a a process in relation to making sure that the adults were vetted through health needs you know whether they were drug or alcohol mental health issues I mean we had quite a few significant incidents so that is something that probably isn't being transparent because they were deliberately trying to sort of get around the system and some of these children were coming over for as long as six months and perhaps having to move or pretending they were moving and really they were just registered with the same family yeah I mean, to be honest, we have had, we work closely with local authorities and we have come across these situations as well where guardians are moving, unaccredited guardians, I should say, are moving children every 27 days to get around the private fostering. So that definitely happens in this sector as well. And it is something that we have alerted local authorities to and also we've notified the Department for Education about these safeguarding concerns in the sector. So. You're right. I mean, I would say that the comparison to the English language sector it is pretty similar in the fact that there's no regulation, although there is British Council that accredits the language schools. But again, it's, there's no legislation around it. This is the issue we face. And I think that the guardianship sector, no one really knows that that sector even exists. No one knows that there's this niche little industry of companies that look after children, essentially. Yeah, and I guess it's a bit about, we know about the children that we know about and they're regulated, but how is your working relationship with the local authority when you do have an issue? When we have had a safeguarding concern, that is obviously when we will be contacted by a LADO and they'll alert us to something that's a serious concern they have. And it's in that sort of conversation that often comes to light that they don't really know very much about the guardianship sector. And so they're looking to us for guidance and regulations. And the first thing they'll want to know is, is this guardianship company accredited? So that's always a bit of an eye opener to see how little awareness there is, I guess, around the guardianship sector. So a lot of our work that we're doing is trying to raise awareness of the sector and the fact that these children are incredibly vulnerable. And I would, going back to your language school comparison, 
quite often the counties that are used to having a lot of international students through language schools, you'll find that those local authorities are very aware of the international student sector. So they'll be a bit more familiar with international students, definitely. Mm. I'm thinking about how children are at risk. I can think of many areas where children are deliberately trafficked or moved around and you know, you could almost have sexual exploitation going on. What's your experience of that? Or am I being perhaps a bit dramatic? But it just makes me think of a lot of children that are in the hands of somebody that is unregulated. Yeah, so this is a huge concern for us. And we have been working closely with safeguarding experts who have always said that the guardianship sector is right to be taken advantage of by someone who wants to take advantage of children due to the lack of regulation. So we know from talking to Lados that they say statistically there will have been cases of abuse in homestays and those children would have returned home and not reported it because when you've got that number of international students studying in the UK it'll be over 30,000 then the statistics would point that way and yes we have come across a case of potential child trafficking and child sexual exploitation that we were helping a local authority with so yeah, absolutely. Very concerning. And it is something I think as we go on to look at this subject in more in depth, I think we really do need to have a conversation about it. I mean, it takes us right back to Victoria Columbia, which was in a, in obviously just a reportedly family situation, but wasn't, they were sent over here for a better life. And I think if we actually go back to write about roots and our policies, we have to consider that. I'm really pleased that we'll be working sort of in partnership I mean, we're advertising to support your guardians in relation to perhaps deepening their understanding into our world. But equally, it's, as I say, it's a, a very vulnerable sector. So I think we can learn both ways. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we are too. I mean, it's so fantastic to be working with a charity like yours and with like-minded people who all have the children at the set core of what they do. So I think it's going to really benefit our guardianship organisation members. I mean, in relation to getting the accreditation, how was that first borne out within your organisation? Because, I mean, we have the working together. And like you say, you're not a cohort that actually fit that picture, but no. um, desperately needed. So how did it all first come about? Yeah, so we're very lucky because we're a charity. We always have a board of trustees that's made up of school professionals and guardianship members as well. So we always have had this great mix of people with a huge wealth of expertise. So originally, the people that put together the framework were from a school background, almost from an independent schools inspectorate background. And so I guess they were drawing on all the legislation that there is to safeguard children to try and apply what is relevant for guardianship. And things like safer recruitment, absolutely mm -hmm. vital. You know, there's a lot of similarities. And so this inspection framework that was put together has basically evolved into a set of quality standards now that is used to inspect and accredit guardianship companies. And all of our inspections are carried out by independent inspectors who are fully trained and they either are from an independent school background or social care or childcare background. The focus on independence is crucial for us because we really believe that when you're safeguarding children it has to be independently inspected and accredited at companies. So how do they find your site? They have to search you out but would they know the difference between 
an accredited site and someone that isn't? So a lot of the time, independent schools, universities, we're seeing a lot of referrals to Aegis. So if an overseas parent doesn't have a close family member in the UK, then they will direct the parents to Aegis to appoint an Aegis accredited guardian. But we do know that at the moment, it can just be a name on a piece of paper. We call them paper guardians. So like you say, people try and get round and cut corners and it's, you know, no fault of the schools or anyone's. It's just that's how things are done. And there's also agents that act and advise overseas parents where to study. There are often local in-country agents who will be offering an advisory service of where to place the students. And so they hold a lot of power as well as to whether they tell the parent to appoint an accredited guardian or whether they could get away with having just a name on a piece of paper. So that's definitely, a whole nother area. <laughs> it definitely makes you think that there should be more regulation around the service of children being placed here. Yeah, um, I, I can think of, as I say, I always get involved in the worst case scenario, but equally it's the culture of some of these families. And I, I remember working very much with a child whose mother had died and he was placed over here in school and he wasn't allowed to grieve because in their culture, mental health, it's Russia, isn't accepted. And he was placed and he didn't have a guardian, but the school had taken him. So equally because of he came from quite an influential family, so he was placed in a very good school, but his mental health was deteriorating and deteriorating to a point where he was trying to buy some medication to commit suicide. And then he actually got help must have been really isolating and scary for this boy who was only 12. You know, you wouldn't do it for your own children, would you, without having a proper guardian or someone to go to. And equally, half time, his dad just paid for him to go to a hotel. So he would pay for a chauffeur to pick him up and just take him to a hotel, and he was just being left on his own. And it's and, such a young age, isn't it? And the cultural differences are very apparent, absolutely. And we, we've heard case studies as well, um, like you've just described, or... Quite often, children might be sent here as a last resort where maybe a learning difficulty hasn't been identified in their home country and they're seen as problematic. So then they're sent to boarding school in the UK and then they're diagnosed with the condition. And that is a very difficult position for guardians to be in as well and schools to be in, trying to break that news to a parent from a culture where there's a lot of stigma around learning difficulties and other conditions. Definitely, definitely a lot to think about. How have you coped under COVID? How's it been different for you? It has been intense from the moment COVID started coming out in the press. So sort of January time, we were already aware of it because of our Chinese agents and guardians who had been dealing with it already. And a lot of our experienced Aegis accredited guardians have already dealt with the SARS pandemic in the past. So they were very quick off the mark to start looking at getting people's contingency plans, making sure that they have one that's up to date. I mean, that's part of our inspection criteria. And our guardians sprang into action very, very quickly in response. So it was stressful for them. And we as Aegis stepped up to support them. But as February approached, we had the February half term, children were going back to their country. It was very unclear as to who needed to be isolated and where, and everyone was feeling their way through it. So it did present a lot of challenges for guardians, but they did respond 
remarkably amazing. I mean, I've just been amazed at how fantastic and committed they've been to their international students. And then, of course, we saw the school closures very last minute. And so Guardians were supporting the students, trying to get them home on flights where there were flights. But quite often, flights were cancelled at the last minute. They were, had numerous trips to the airport. It was complete chaos, basically, trying to get the children home and safe. And then, obviously, the role of Guardian hasn't stopped because not all international students could get home, unfortunately. Or parents felt it was safer for them to stay in the UK in case schools reopened, because at that time, it wasn't clear how long they'd be shut for. So you can imagine the pressure <laughs> that the Guardians were under. But at the same time, it also highlighted the need for accredited, responsible, professional guardians. Because as you pointed out earlier on, they are childcare providers and they are supporting children. And in these situations, it showed how much they need that support. Yeah, and equally, they could have been really vulnerable because if their parents were sick, the emotion that must go with that. I mean, you could end up with children that have been bereaved by their parents and not got back to see them. It does, it's not something that I think has been discussed or even talked about. And that decision for that parent to say, you stay there and they're facing, whether it's Italy, China, Japan, wherever, isn't it? There has been some awful, awful outcomes. And it's underestimating what the guardians would have to deal with in that mm. situation, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I think... As well, you know, for instance, the Chinese children had already been hearing from home about situations and the illnesses that their families were subjected to and loss of family, friends, all of those things they'd already experienced earlier. And so for them, for their parents and for their families to then see the pandemic hit the UK, I think that is underestimated, just the mm. level of anxiety <laughs> that parents who are on the other side of the world must have been feeling but also like you say the children as well and in some areas there were examples of abuse wasn't there against children especially particularly Chinese there was some racial abuse that was reported to families that had lived over here so let alone a child perhaps that is actually placed here through a school the possibility of them actually experiencing that from their peers Mm. We were very quick, actually. The guardians made sure that the host families, when the children were staying in host families in that last term, that they didn't go out alone. Any Far Eastern children weren't to go out alone. They needed to be accompanied by an adult. Yeah, so we were very quick to react to that to protect the children. That sounds so professional, doesn't it? And as I say, I, I honestly think people that would have been listening to this conversation today, it would be a really another dimension of safeguarding that they haven't considered. And as I say, we're going to be thinking about doing a special interest group. So this is where we look at things in more depth, but mix it up a little bit. So actually introduce you to the nurses that from the looked after world and equally private fostering comes under that whole hidden area with its own complexities. Mm. And it would be really nice to have some of those more in-depth professional conversations. So I think we could attract people from education, local government, Ofsted even, because people are sometimes quite blinkered about what they are looking for and, and really miss the obvious. And I know local authorities at times struggle if they do have several private schools, such as Dorset does. I mean, we have a, a large cohort of children and equally their own children, not necessarily international students that are going to those schools. And if, if there is anything unfolding. It's about all working together, isn't it, in relation? Absolutely. I think that's key, the, the whole working together across 
the sector is so, so key. And drawing on that, we have had meetings involving the National Lado Network Chair, Ofsted, ISI, DFE, you know, as many people as we can get on board to try and raise our concerns about the gaps in safeguarding of international students. And when you're in a meeting like that, it's fantastic. You realise everyone is working towards the same goal, but quite often when everyone goes away, again, it all gets lost, doesn't it? So... Yeah, it's, it's like keep reminding people what's out there, what's going on and how we can help each other. It's key, isn't it? So I think we've covered those key questions. Is there anything else that you wish to say, raise or get people to think about what you do do? I think probably just some statistics. If you think that there are, according to the independent schools census, there are just below 30,000 or were in 2019-20, the academic year, just below 30,000 international students studying at independent schools. And Aegis accredited guardians, the number of students under their guardianship is around 6,000. The majority will be studying at independent schools, but some will be at state schools, some will be at university. That is often quite a shock to people. So to hear that such a low number are under professional guardianship and accredited guardianship with oversight. And the other thing I, I always say to parents, we've been doing a lot of webinars recently over lockdown, trying to reassure overseas parents of the provisions that are being put in place in the UK for schools reopening and the brilliant support that schools are putting in place, but also what guardians are doing to support the really important thing that I keep saying to parents is that if you have an Aegis accredited guardian, if there's an issue, you have someone to come to, you can complain to us and we can help support and basically support the parent to get the right outcome. But if you have an unaccredited guardian with no oversight and there's an issue, basically it stops there. There's no one else you can turn to. So I think that realisation of the enormity of the problem that that presents is huge. And like you say, quite often, it's only when things go wrong that these things come up and people are suddenly aware of. And it's normally the worst case scenario where people have Perhaps, I mean, it goes right back to our basic system that Victoria Columbia case was placed with guardians that weren't really family. And there is a lot of deceit sometimes in relation to getting a British education. It's been really interesting to talk to you. And I'd like to, as I say, further these conversations with other professionals. We have something called special interest groups where we just bring like-minded professionals and it's part of the membership that we offer to actually just continue that conversation with the hope to actually hold a, a webinar where you, you can make it bigger, we can get speakers. And equally, obviously, our association is about lobbying government in relation to policy and research into practice. So it's, I think there's a lot of avenues that we could talk about in working together. So it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Yasmin. Any other final words? Just to say thank you for having me. It's been very kind of you to listen to our side. No, it's, it's another dimension. And it's an area, as I say, that I think has been a bit hidden from our association. So I welcome the partnership. And, and going forward, I'm almost excited to hear what other people say. It would be really good to actually get on board with some of the heads from the independent schools and break down some of the barriers. Because 
working together is all about preventative help at the earliest possible time just because they're not our children they are placed here and if abuse happens that's where we need to break the cycle isn't it but I'm sure there's a lot of very happy children with very good guardians <laughs> so yeah. um, it's about actually just sharing that information isn't it yeah so thank you Yasmin we'll be looking forward to some future work thank you for listening to the AOCPP's podcast if there are any specific topics you want discussed in future episodes email us at hello at AOCPP and if you would like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals, including the free membership trial, then visit our website at childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk. Thank you.